You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. We're talking about humility today. And then Garrett comes up and says, the one and only, and I'm thinking, here's my illustration for the day. But then he was honest enough to admit he didn't know a word, and, but he dragged me into it. So we're all humbled this morning as we, as we come to God's word and as we realize there's a lot of words in the English language that we just don't understand yet. And, and one of them is humility. Um, yeah, learning some things about humility just as they study it, meditate on God's word and, and understand. And so I hope that uh, through this morning as we look into James 4 again, we'll, we will all understand what humility really is. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to, to teach us not just the truth, but how it applies to our life this morning. Father, we come before you. We've been lifting up your name. We've been worshiping you in song. And of course, as we worship you, we're brought back to that greatest of all truths, that thing that that seems to level everything and make everything clear, the gospel. We worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one that came into this world, your Son, Lord, And he paid the price for our sin. He made it possible that we have a relationship with you. And everything in this book that we have before us is about how our relationship with you can grow. So we pray that you teach us as we come. We pray that you'd help us to have hearts ready to learn. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We we sin. We put obstacles in our relationship with you. And one of the greatest is just our ignoring of you. And so we come before you this morning and we say, Lord, help us to, to, to come face to face with you, to realize who we are, who you are, and help us to better know you and live for your honor and glory in this world. So teach us now as we, as we come together here around your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we continue to work through James. Um, The last time we were together talking, we were talking about our relationship with the Lord and, you know, how we protect and preserve that relationship with the Lord. The world is offering all sorts of distractions, offering us all sorts of, all sorts of things that would be. Uh, pull us away, whether they be philosophies or actual things. And we, we recognize the danger those things pose because we get too wrapped up in, in the world and worldliness. And they get in the way of our relationship with God. But into the middle of those verses that we were studying, this idea, actually it wasn't the middle, it was the beginning and the end, this idea of humility was mentioned very clearly, very strongly by James. And you wonder, like all of a sudden, humility comes up and, and you go, okay, why? And as I was thinking about it this week, these letters, these books, and the Bible completely are like a, a, a blanket that's woven together by fibers. 
And you think of those fibers and how they're all knit together, maybe a big wool blanket. And sometimes those fibers, as they're knit together, they're going underneath. And then sometimes they come to the surface and they're no less important when they're underneath, right? They're holding that great blanket together, but there are all sorts of little truths that are woven together and there are times when they come to the surface and there's a specific reason that they've come to the surface. There's something that God wants us to learn, wants us to understand. And humility is one of those fibers in this in this letter that James has written here. And each fiber, as small as it is, has a specific purpose in holding the greater truth together. And I was thinking of it in terms of a wool blanket. You know, the longest a piece of sheep's wool is, is about eight inches. And yet, twisted together, it holds this massive blanket together and each part is important and so when these truths come to the surface we need to look at them we need to understand them because there's a reason that God feels they're important for us and so humility humility comes to the surface and we think why is it such a vital part of living this Christian life because we know James is about practical Christian living it's about how we are going to live out our faith. Not just say we have a faith, but live that faith out. And we think, why is, why is humility such a vital part of this? Is it because pride is an attitude that's worldly and contrary to the mind and heart of God? Probably. But why is God so against pride? Why is he so for humility? And something that we can learn about humility by first looking at pride is this. Pride is a lie. Pride is a lie. When we're proud, when we, we think of ourselves to be something, when we think of ourselves as great, we're lying. And in pride, you know, we see the world gets further from God, the prouder they become. They forget truth. Or maybe we could say the further they get from God, the prouder they become. Which is it? Is it both? Maybe it's just both, right? If someone decides to live a lie and be proud, they're pushing themselves from God. And if somebody goes further from God, it's easier to live a lie, isn't it? And so that's why we gather. That's why we come. That's why we worship, whether we're together or alone. Because worship brings us face to face with God. And we have to confront, you and I even have to confront those lies that are creeping into our life. That tell us we're something. That tell us we can live this life on our own. And so we understand if pride is a lie, then humility is the truth. And that's maybe one of the most important things that I've learned this week, or it's, it's been put into words in my own mind, 
we often think of humility as an attitude, right? You want to have the attitude of humility. But before humility can be an attitude, it has to be an understanding. We can't just put on the attitude of humility without understanding the truth that's behind it. And we can't understand the truth unless we come face to face with the one who is the truth. And that straightens out a whole lot of things in my thinking when it comes to the definition of this word, humility, that is so hard for us to grasp, so hard for us to hold on to. Why can't I have a humble attitude? Well, it's because I need to back up and first of all have a humble understanding. I need to know what's what if I'm going to have the right attitude, if that's going to be what's produced in my life. And in order to have that right understanding, I need to take another step back and I need to come face to face with God. And that really puts things into perspective. Not just a, a, a casual glance at God, but I need to come and stare him in the face. I need to talk to him. I need to hear from him. And that is why you and I need to have a devotional life. We need a daily devotional life. Because in that time of quiet, when we step away from the things that were involved in the world, we can come face to face with God. And we can speak to him. And if we're really speaking to God, we're going to be speaking about important things. Important things that are going on in our hearts and minds. And as we look into his word, we're going to be hearing from him. We're going to be hearing truths about who he is and how he sees this world. And it sort of will bring things back into perspective. We'll know him better. We'll understand truth more. And then we'll have that attitude as we go into the world of dependence on him. And so as we go to study this subject of, of humility today, we're actually going to back up and just touch on the verses that we studied before because that is, where, that is where this idea of humility begins. We think about what is important, what is true. We think about reality. And that's what God is inviting us into when he invites us into a relationship with him. He's inviting us to participate in truth or reality. You know, so often we think about the Christian life or we think about a relationship with God and we think it's mysterious, right? It's mystical because it's different from this physical reality that just looks at, well, these things that are around us and the way people think that are around us, the world and worldliness, we go, that's reality. No. God is inviting us into true reality, into a world that includes him 
a world that he is over, his kingdom. And so just thinking of that, it's not so mysterious after all. It's about truth and connecting with him. And, you know, think about reality in this world we live in. Another illustration, just this, this idea. We, we talk about virtual reality. And think about a continuum of this is truth, this is reality, and this is virtuality. Where are we at on that continuum in the Christian life? How connected are we with God? And I was thinking of just the illustration of this service and how it's been over the last number of years that we now have services that are on Zoom. And people can connect with this service in a virtual way. I'm glad so many have chosen to connect with this service in a real way. But you know, there's a choice there, isn't there? You can come here and really be here, or you could stay home. And some people, they don't have a choice. That's why they're connecting that way. But you could stay home and only connect with it virtually. And we all had enough, we've all had enough experience with, with this that we realize the disconnect, right? And I was preaching for those months during COVID. I could see your eyes glaze over. <laughs> you were sitting on your couch at home. And you weren't connected as much. Or you could do this. You could, you could well, I'm going to do a th- few things around the house while I connect with the service. <laughs> I saw you ironing. No, I didn't see. But how disconnected we could be from the reality of what's going on here. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And God does not impose himself on us. He's there, really. And we have a choice as to how much we are going to connect with him. Nah, virtual. That's enough for me. I'm going to get a few things done while I pray. And we choose to be less connected. Where this relationship with God begins, where this all starts, or where humility starts, is with a relationship with God. James gives us practical steps as he talks about humility. And so let's look at these verses quickly again, just verses 6 down to 10. And what does it say there? It says, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Pride's sin. Pride's a lie. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up he'll exalt you you'll be back to joy after you've gone through that period of reality the reality check yes i am a sinner 
but he's the Savior. And so we're not going to take too much time in these verses. We've already worked our way through them. But this is where humility begins in relationship with the Lord. That's foundational. We can't, we can't just skip over this part and talk about the other. And we see that in humility, in relationship with God, we're supposed to submit to him. We're supposed to be obedient in practical Christian living. And that in contrast, we're to push away from the world, the influences of Satan in this world and on our lives. He uses the world around us. He uses the wants that we have in our heart to keep us far from God. And this connection on God is all based on our humility, our willingness to realize truth and to say, you know what? God knows best. God knows best. He knows better than me. And I'm not able to participate in the things of this world without being affected by them. Are we humble enough to say that? Do we understand the reality that we're weak, sinful people and we can't say, well, you know, I can do this and it doesn't matter. Think. You and I both know how weak we are, how fragile we are, how, how open we are to the influences of this world. So we need to separate ourselves from those things. Join ourselves to God. We need to be honest enough to admit, I have a natural sin-cursed side that I continue to battle with, doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. It still wants to make an impact on our li my life. Still wants to draw me from the Lord. And so that's why these verses begin and end with, well, it starts out with an exaltation of humility. And then it says the humble will be exalted. But there's a struggle. And at the least... Our natural self is whispering to us right now, but you don't need to worry about this very much. This isn't that important. It'll be over soon. Hang on, don't listen. <laughs> no, that's, that's our natural self. We just sort of go, yeah, but this isn't that important. No, it is. It is that important. The world and the world's philosophy and our natural self whispers to us, but God is shouting here, humility is absolutely important. And this is, this is the carrot. This is the thing that, the reward, God gives grace to the humble. If we come to him in a humble dependence and, a, and an acceptation acceptation of truth he says you know what I'll give you truth I'll give you a close relationship with me you will receive you will receive more grace we all need and we all want 
more grace. But it's all rooted in who will listen. Jesus said, let everyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. We know that all of his hearers had ears. Maybe there were a few that were deaf that couldn't hear him, but he was talking about the heart. He was talking about willingness. He was talking about humility. We understand that that's the way we came to God in the first place. If we've come to God, we came through an understanding of truth and a willingness to submit to truth. Humility. We understood that we're sinners, that we're under a load of guilt, and we saw that Christ is the Savior. He is the only one who can take away our sins. We can't do enough good to erase our wrong and to overcome the debt that we have with God. But Christ did it for us. That is humility. That is how we come to God. That's how the relationship begins through Christ. Grace is accessible to those of us who don't deserve it. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says, In Him, in God, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. He's talking about the life of faith. Faith was given to us. We have this understanding. We have the understanding of the gospel truth that we need a Savior, that Christ is a Savior. And then he applies that graciously to our lives. And he gives us graciously the Holy Spirit to live in us, to continue to communicate that truth to us, to guide us in that truth. And God has just given to that relationship And as humble as we are, with the attitude and the understanding, as as much as we continue to say, okay, Lord, I accept I'm a sinner and you're the Savior, he'll continue to pour out grace. He'll continue to lead us. He'll continue to guide us. He'll continue to grow our faith. But we have to be honest. And we have to admit And we have to say, yeah, I need that grace every day. We need to come to the Lord and say, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. Because that is what it's all about. That is the foundation. That's what humility looks like in a relationship with God. What does humility look like in a relationship with others? Our relationship with God cannot be real. Our heart cannot be truly transformed without our relationship with everyone else being changed too. We know that, don't we? 
Well, here's what it says. Well, you might have had a question how these next two verses fit in with the previous, fit in with humility. But it says in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but the judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And James, being very practical, talking about humility in a relationship with God, he swings around to our human relationships and the things that we say. That's a favorite of James, right? And he pokes us right where we hurt. You judge other people, don't you? I know I do. Out of the abundance of what's in the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Jesus said that in Matthew 12. We touched on that before when we were talking about the tongue. We know the connection that's there. We also know that in 1 John 4, it says you can't say you love God without loving your brother. You can't be committed to God, to honor him, the God of mercy, the God of compassion, the God of love, without turning and loving other people as well. If we say we love God and we hate our brother, we're, we're lying. Our relationship with God, if it's a humble relationship with him, is going to affect those around us. And many times we step away, you and I step away for a moment so that we can make an honest evaluation of that other evil person and judge them. We become judgmental don't we? Why do we do that? Why is this such a, a natural tendency for us? Why would Satan want to do that? Why would this be encouraged by the world? We start talking about other people and it turns to gossip. And from gossip it turns to condemnation. And this is bad, not just for them, it's bad for us. Why? Why do we do it? Not just because it's fun. It's natural. It's sinful. Because, but because it, it makes us feel better about ourselves, don't we? We don't feel like quite the sinners when we're able to point out the people who are worse than us, right? Lifts us up. We seem good. We can forget that we're sinners. We can forget the truth. And that's something that James brings up, not just to say we need to correct that in our life. It's something that James brings up so that we can go, wait a second, what does this teach me about myself? What does this teach me about my natural self and who I am? You know, we would go back to a natural way of being 
of thinking about ourselves as being good rather than going, my righteousness, my rightness, my goodness is in Christ and is in Christ alone. We kind of think of ourselves as being above all that sinful, foolish, look at those people, look at what they do. Glad I'm not a part of that. We pretend that we are presiding in judgment over others. That's what it says, the first part of verse 11. Don't speak evil against one another. Huh, look at them. Then second, we lift ourselves up over the law. That's what it says in the second part of verse 11. We speak evil against the law and judge the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but the judge. You, you put yourself above the law. I'm the one who knows how to apply the law. And those people are guilty. They cannot be saved. There's a condemnation in our attitude. We may not say those exact words, but when we condemn, that is what we're doing. We're judging a person as being unredeemable. And then we put ourselves over God. Who is the judge? He's the one who is judge, not us. It says in Romans 2, 1 to 4, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. To condemn other people, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the same things that they do. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And we say, well, how am I doing the same thing? I remember, that's, you know, childhood conversations on the way to church, driving through Cortland, I remember my sister having this conversation with my, with my father. I don't remember what he said because I was a kid and, you know, kids don't listen. But they, how can I be doing the same thing that that person is doing? We know that if we're sinning, if we're sinners, we sin. We are breaking the law of sin. But you know, you think of it. You think of it. We're just on an earlier stage of the sin that they are on. We could get to where they are. We have hearts that are sinful. You know, we, we say, oh, Hitler. Look at what he did. Look at the Millions of people that were killed at his bidding. But then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says to hate somebody is to be a killer. To be angry with somebody. You're starting down that road. You know what? You may never be as successful a sinner 
as some of these other people. There may be things that hold us back. And thank goodness there are. But the greatest of all would be the grace of God. And so we need to see ourselves. You know, so many times we would like to see ourselves as separate from this, those sinners. It's Galatians 2 that Paul says to the, to the Jewish people, we are not Gentile sinners like them. And you think of the Jewish people going, yeah, we're not. But then he pulls everybody in together and says we're all sinners. And this is the idea. We would like to think we're separate from, what's separate from sin? That's holiness, right? We would like to think I am holy. They are sinners, but I am holy, set apart from them. But what is the reality Who's holy? Jesus said to the rich young ruler, there's no one good but God. No one good but God. He's the only one who's truly holy. And if we're going to be holy, our holiness will come from him. Nowhere else. It's not found in us. And so we need to understand the reality, the truth, the truth about who we are and how things fit in the world. And as we're sitting there pointing the finger at somebody else, trying to judge them, we need to realize we're not the judge. It's not us and them. It's us and him. We have more in common with that sinner that we're trying to judge than we do with God. And yet by grace, because of Jesus Christ, he invites us into a relationship with him. And even as a person who has a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, who shares in Christ's righteousness, his absolute righteousness we share in that because of our salvation we need to have his compassion and his mercy for that other sinner who's just like us and needs Christ's righteousness see that's the reality it's impossible to change our attitude towards sinners, isn't it? Until we understand the reality and are connected to God through Christ and we understand there but for the grace of God go I. That's me. It changes the way we look at other people and that's what James is talking about here. And we think, you know, it's not that we don't recognize sin in another person. But there's a difference between evaluation and condemnation. There's a difference between us, if you want to use the same word, judging people, sinners, to help them. And us judging people who are sinners to help ourselves. Isn't that magical? 
same word means something completely different depending on who you're doing it for. That person's a sinner. I want to help. They need help. They need the same help I got. Rather than, huh, when I judge them, I feel better about myself. I can push them to one side and say, look at me, I'm a great person. I don't do that yet. We wish we were holy. God is holy. He'll share that with us. But we have to humbly understand our sin and our need for his righteousness. And Jesus tags it on to the end of the, his prayer, teaching the disciples how to pray, how to relate to God. And he says, you know what? As you forgive, you will be forgiven. That's fundamental. You want to know if you're living forgiven? How forgiving are you with other people? Are you living with a, a comprehension of your forgiveness? Remember the, the servant of the king who had the great debt, was forgiven the debt, turns around and strangles the guy who has a little debt. Did he understand the grace he'd been given? In the end, was he truly forgiven? No, he wasn't. Because he didn't forgive. And so, humility, yeah, is an attitude, it's an expression that we'll have toward other people because of our relationship with God, because of our understanding of truth. We're all just saved sinners. What about humility? in our relationship with life itself. Well, we love to make plans. We love to, to figure out how things are going to go. We want to strategize and worry and take care or take advantage of, of situations. There's no problem, no problem with planning, to, with being responsible. But we go beyond that, way beyond that, don't we? We want to have things under our control. We think everything should go the way I planned. We want to have the, the tiger by the tail. Well, this is what it says in verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James says to us, he points out a problem. And this can be such a great learning experience for us if we'll accept it. He says, you don't know the future and you don't even know if you're going to be part of the future. <laughs> Your life, my life, it's a 
puff of smoke blown in the wind. It's a bit of steam. Be gone in a moment. Our course through life is anything but predictable, definable. We really only know what's going to happen until after it's happened. I remember that saying, there are those who, who make things happen. There are those who watch things happen. And there are those who wonder what happened. <laughs> and the honest truth is that you and I spend most of our time in that third category. We're wondering what's going to happen. We'd like to think we knew. We'd like to think we're the movers and the shakers and we're the, we're the people who are, you know, setting a course. We have a plan. We're the captain of our ship. And after the sails are ripped down and, and we're run ashore on some unforeseen rock, we go, well, I guess I didn't really know what was, what was happening, what was going on. I didn't really understand. And, and this is James inviting us to, to, to take a proper stance in terms of this life, to look at life according to truth, live in reality. We need to live in reality, don't we? There's only one who knows the future, and that is God. We're just this little feather if we see it, you know, that's what we think. It's a little feather blowing along. I think it was in the Forrest Gump movie, right? There was this at the beginning and at the end of the movie. Because like his life, because that's the way we see a life. It's just like, boom, from one thing to the other. We don't know where it's going to land. That's how it seems to us. That's the amount of control that we have. And yet, from God's perspective, his divine purposes, the course that he has set out for us, the one he knew, he knit together in your mother's wombs, the one he chose before the foundation of the earth. He can't choose to save you without knowing the twists and turns the tortuous route there's the word the tortuous route that we're going to be taking through this life he knows you can't make the big decisions without also making the little decisions because we know how many of those big decisions depend on these little decisions and all of a sudden, as we talk about this, as we think it through in reality, according to truth, we realize how little control we have, how little we know about this life, how thankful we should be we don't have a bigger bank account where we can say, huh, well, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it because I got the money to do it. We would do that too if we had more control. We see that already with the amount of affluence we have in our country. We start to think we can set our own course. It's not just pointing at 
other people who would pay $250,000 for a submarine ride to the Titanic. What if you had that money? How would we be spending it? Well, look at how we spend the money we have. Look at the attitudes we have. Look at the, well, I want this, so I'm going to do that. Without thinking. I'm here for such a short time. I want to make it count according to reality. And not simply this temporary reality. But the kingdom of God reality. We think of the man who built bigger barns in Jesus' parable. Nothing wrong with building, planning. But when you forget God, when God is not a part of it, when you think that you're doing, when I think that I'm doing just what I want to do according to And it'll all be gone in a moment. Maybe not as dramatically as some. Maybe we'll just fade away. Just get older and and be gone. And all those plans we had and dreams and things we did that we thought were so great, they're going to be gone. In a less dramatical, dramatic fashion. And we understand, reading the scriptures, we need to be humble. We need to stay humble. But trying to be humble is impossible. Having the attitude of humility is impossible. I always think of it, it's like holding on to a live fish. If you hold it too tight, squeeze it out. If you hold it too loose, it gets away from you. That's, that's the attitude of humility. But the truth that we see here is, it's not just trying to hold on to an attitude, trying to be humble. Oh, I'm focused on my humility too much. I'm getting proud. It's through looking at reality, looking at truth, looking at the one who is truth and that will keep us humble father help us help us to honestly come face to face with you maybe there are those here who do not know you as their savior may they come to know that truth that you are the only savior that salvation is found in your son. They're sinners and they need you. And that you and your grace are willing to receive any sinner no matter what they've done. Lord, help those of us who are on this journey, disciples of yours following, struggling to follow, struggling not to be distracted by the world,
help us to be more committed to those reality checks where we come face to face, where we stay in relationship with you, where we commune and communicate with you throughout our day. Where we realize the the shortness of our time here, which although sometimes it scares us, it is a blessing because when we're in those hardships, we realize, wow, this isn't going to be for very long. The struggles, the pain, the circumstances that we are, it's not going to be that long, Lord. You tell us that. Help us to fix our eyes on you. To draw close to you. Because you promised to draw close to us. May that transform our relationship with other people. May we be like you, merciful merciful and compassionate. Knowing that we will not be judged because you have taken our judgment and expressing that to other people as well. And may it transform the way we live our lives. Truth. This life, this world, the things of this world, not that important except in how they connect to you communicate about you. May we be transformed in relationship with you and may we discover this humility in our lives. Amen.